Welcome to Recovery Plus Podcast. Fuck yesterday, focus on today. I'm your host, Dr. Mainly Hannon. Here, we celebrate and honor people in recovery one conversation at a time. Let's talk. Welcome back. This is episode nine. I have a special guest who wants to share his story. He doesn't have years and years of experience or recovery time, but for someone who is not that old, has had a lifetime of hurt and struggle. Um, He's currently three months in recovery. Um, He has endured years of trauma, battling addiction, and a recent suicide attempt. This young man wants to share his story and that others out there might relate and benefit from hearing about his journey towards recovery. I'm excited and humbled to introduce Maddie M. Take a listen. Well, hi, Maddie. Good morning. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I appreciate you waking up at the ass crack of dawn um, for everyone. Maddie is calling in from Sydney, Australia. So I'm talking to a man in the future, I think. Is that right? Yeah. What day is it over there? <laughs> like, it is Wednesday, the 27th. Ah, yes. It's Tuesday here. So thank you for waking up and talking to me. Um, I got the to, the chance to speak to Maddie um, before we call this show, um, and it's extraordinary. Typically, we have people on the show with years and years of recovery and years and years of experience, but what I have found, and I think you all will find this too in hearing Maddie's story, is you don't have to live that long to live a lot, you know? Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that I found very um, poignant in your story. So let's just get started. Kind of tell me a little bit um, how substances got to the point of addiction for you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So for me, it was definitely a, a way of numbing the reality of everything that had happened. Um, started, I guess, started from the beginning, growing up in domestic violence and sort of having to endure that. That started pretty much from when I was 10. So that was such a huge part of my life was, you know, protecting my younger siblings and the oldest of eight. So there's a lot of people to protect. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was pretty much my role for the majority of my life was protecting those beneath me and mm-hmm. making sure that they were safe. And that involved taking the brunt of a lot of what had happened um, like witnessing um, my mom's partner's like suicide attempts and things like that, which obviously took a pretty heavy toll. Um, and then moving out of home when I was 16, enduring all kinds of things when I was 16, I was sexually abused, going back, and then it ended up going back home to the domestic violence because I was the lesser of the two evils wow. and sort of going back to that environment and during that and then being kicked out of home was homeless when I was 20 and just sort of moved around living in my car in a uh, cemetery parking lot or an abandoned caravan, anything that I could sort of find to sort of be somewhat safe throughout the night um, and being taken advantage of when I was in that situation as well. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of, 
being in vulnerable situations and then having that vulnerability taken advantage of and being harmed when you're in that state, um, which sort of led to, yeah, just needing to numb that numb that pain and just try and forget about it as much as humanly possible, um, which led to, yeah, it started off as a lot of pot smoking, just sort of riding through that high and trying to use that to forget about everything that was happening around me and all the chaos that was happening in my head as repercussions to all the things I've had to experience. And that then just kept intensifying and intensifying as obviously your tolerance for it increases, your need to consume more then increases. And that became so prominent and such a huge part of my life. And I was, then that wasn't quite cutting it. Just smoking pot wasn't, wasn't, it was scratching the surface, but it wasn't doing enough. So then I had, to, I was experimenting to find other things that helped sort of fill that void that I was feeling mm-hmm. and just numb everything that was going on. And that led to using substances like heroin and acid and cocaine or just anything that I can get my hands on that was going to just completely remove myself from my body and remove myself from my experiences. Mm -hmm. And my past was nothing that I wanted to touch or deal with. It was nothing that I wanted anything to do with. If I could just forget that ever happened, I could, I would. Mm -hmm. And um, the unfortunate reality is that that's not the case. Mm -hmm. Um, And as the years went on, it really intensified on my need and the selfishness that comes with it definitely intensified and I was stealing from workplaces and trying to get money. I went into escorting and sex work just to try and cover, like, yeah, pay for my habits and get whatever I could. And that came with meeting a lot of contacts and sort of doing whatever I could to get anything and just really lost all respect for myself in pursuit of trying to numb and that really took a toll over time um and spent yeah between five to six years just pretty much uh thinking back now I don't really have a lot of memory about that time that was a huge time where yeah I just was floating through life as best as I could and um, that led to this year where I ended up in hospital after an overdose, um, spent time in the drug and alcohol ward and then three weeks in a psychiatric facility because coming off substances meant that everything that I had worked to suppress came bubbling out tenfold. Right. Um And then following that with like coming out of hospital and then trying to manage it on my own, trying to manage uh, choosing sobriety, trying to manage my mental health, trying to manage sort of processing everything that had happened, not only when I was younger that led to substance usage, but also all the stuff that happened while I was using Mm -hmm. was a lot. 
Um, and then that led to me making an attempt on my life. I relapsed. Um, it just didn't really see the value in living. It also meant that like, cause I was feeling so much of everything. Right. Overflowing. Where, yeah. Yeah. I was like, I, if this is what people deal with when they're sober, I want none of it. Right. This is ridiculous. Um, so made an attempt, ends up back in hospital in the psychiatric ward, um, where then I was linked in with a lot more supports, a lot that were able to help me sort of understand why sobriety was important and why it's a healthy decision and all the benefits you can get out of it and yet might feel like shit for a bit, mm-hmm. just trying to, like, understand that, like, everything that I've been through, everything that happened while I was using and everything that led to this point and trying to process that is, is a shitty experience. It is not pleasant, but it is freeing when you go through it bit by bit. And that load feels a little bit lighter over time and you're able to actually go, okay, yeah, there's no way I'd be able to unpack this if I was still using today. And yeah, it's only been what uh, after my relapse that was in April, so May, June, July. It's only been three months, mm-hmm. but and and it, there are days where it is definitely hard. Days when right. everything becomes so overwhelming, and I'm like, I don't even see the worthiness in it. But it's choosing every day to actually work on myself. There's only, you can avoid it as much as you like, but at some point it's going to catch up. And it has. And it did. Yeah, it did. And if I continue down that path, like, I came very close to dying both times at the hospital. There were doctors and nurses who didn't think that I was going to make it. So uh, I've now seen what the lowest of lows lead to. And I know that if I don't deal with it, and if I don't choose to follow sobriety, follow my recovery process, that there's a really, really good chance I'm going to end up dead. Yeah. And I wasn't quite aware when I made the attempt on my life, I wasn't quite aware the impacts that, that actually had on other people that like my, you know, my seven siblings were mortified that I had, essentially chosen to abandon them and like my parents and everything like that. And it was a really, really tough time. And so now I know the dangers of what would happen if I follow that path. And I, as horrible as a time as it was, I do definitely see it as a eye opening experience to be able to be like, yeah, you could have died. Like that is the reality situation. If you if you follow down this path and you keep using and keep avoiding, you can end up dead, mm-hmm. and you're gonna leave a lot of people behind, and you're gonna miss out on a lot of experiences because you threw it away. And that's sort of been the motivation to keep going. Is that if I remain absent, I remain sober, I'm gonna be able to deal with this stuff a lot better. Mm-hmm. And it might take a good while, but it, we will get there in the end. And it's going to hurt. 
there's going to be days I'll struggle, but I also know that I've got a lot of support around me. My family have been extremely supportive throughout the whole process. I've got professional supports in place that do help t- attending AA meetings and NA meetings help massively to be able to sort of remind myself when I'm in those lowest of low points that there is a reason I'm still here and there's a reason to keep fighting for sobriety and for a future and that's just what I keep keep holding on to. I mean extraordinary and it and it's amazing you're actually talking to me a lot yeah. going through yeah. that and I think a lot of people can relate to those lows that you were talking about, right? Yeah. Um, Mandy, you mentioned you have about three months in sub- in recovery, um, but you had recovery before. Yeah. And then what happened, let me just back up for a second, what happened is you got overflooded or overloaded with emotions. Yeah, big time. No one gave you a warning sticker, so when you're sober, you're going to feel no. all the shit. <laughs> nope, definitely not. Uh-huh. Because when you're not numbing, you're alert and aware. Yeah. Right? And I think many people that you're mentioning can relate to, well, I don't want to feel that. Because that is so much hurt. Like you said, it's going to hurt. It's going to continue to hurt. Um, The healing process is a long fucking road. Oh, yeah. You're like, no shit. (laughs) Yeah. It it is. And, And you're a young man. Can I ask how old you are? I am 25. Okay, 25 years old. So that's an age where a lot of folks are determining what they want to be, um, yeah. going in or getting out of school, beginning yeah. to think about career and all this, and also high social life engagement, like oh, parties, yeah. bars, celebrations, yeah. you don't need a reason kind of shit. You know, yeah. so... A lot of young people listening, you know, there's this fear of missing out. What would you say to folks? You're 25, barely. Yeah, yeah. I 100% agree. Like, in your 20s, drinking and using is very much a huge part of the culture. Right. Massively. It's like everyone's going out on the weekends and enjoying that partying life. And... Yeah, it it can be tough being so removed from that environment. But I also get to, well, there's a silver lining in that, that I do get to enjoy the experience of watching people who are very hungover the next day and be like, I'm so glad that's not me. But also, <laughs> like, choose a good support network, people who are going to understand and people who are going to encourage you to do positive things along the way i thankfully i've got friends who are in their 20s as well mm-hmm. and they they go out and they they'll drink but they're understanding that i obviously won't partake in that mm-hmm. and they're very aware as to why but they'll also take the time to spend time with me outside of that environment as well like we catch up you know, every fortnight we just cook a mad dinner at home mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. just sort of hang out that way. And it has been such an adjustment because these people are people that I used to go out with every weekend. Right. And we've sort of collectively made that adjustment into, oh, let's just like do like 
dinner and mature things and so grown all up. that weird stuff. Yeah, <laughs> which feels so foreign. But um, it is it is really good when you've got the good support network around you that's going to work with you and that's going to help you on your journey of recovery. And that's such a huge thing. And and I obviously can't thank them enough for making that choice to support me in my journey and to stick around through that all because there's a lot of people, unfortunately, that you will lose along the way. Right. People who are, are not ready for their own recovery journeys mm-hmm. um, or people who just don't understand or see, you know, previous addiction as like a very threatening thing. Um, and yeah, I guess it's just for anyone in your twenties, who's choosing sobriety, it it is a tough time and it's a tough time regardless of what age, but with social media, you know, viewing Instagram stories and Snapchat stories of people going out drinking and having a good time. It is a really, really tough time, but stick to it because, you know, although it's only been three months to me, like I know that I'm not capable of that one night out and then put it away. And I know that that's, it's dangerous for me to go out there and think that I can party and drink for one night and then not want to do it again until the next week. Mm-hmm. And I know that following that path leads to where I was, which is in a hospital bed with leads and cords and blood pressure machines and nurses and doctors running around me. And it's honestly just, it's not worth it. Mm-hmm. Choosing sobriety is choosing a healthier life and healthier habits. And that's what you need to sort of focus on. I mean, it's a, it's a struggle because you have this voice in your head going, you know what, I have six months, I have almost 12 months, you know, I got my chip or I got acknowledged and it feels really good. And then something happens where you go, I can celebrate. I yeah. can do this just one more time because oh, yeah. now I have control over this fucking beast. What would you say to folks who are like, it, I can do one more time? Um. Yeah, I think... Brutally honest. Um, yeah. <laughs> as tempting as that voice is, you, you can't. There's a reason that we had to go into recovery in the first place. And it's because we're not the kinds of people who can just celebrate and then be done with it and put it away. We, there are two I've learned through my experience that there there are two kinds of people. There are people who can have the fun and then wait to have it again. And there are people who need the fun to escape and they constantly chase that wherever that leads. And unfortunately people who are in recovery are are much the latter. Mm -hmm. Addiction is escapism. It's escaping something. And God, I definitely understand the allure of that voice because it's definitely pops up in your weakest moments where as well, where it's like, you know, maybe you don't have a problem. Maybe, (laughs) maybe this is all just an accident. Like maybe, maybe you can just do it and stop. 
And it's just trying to combat that and be like, you know what, I've made it this far, even though, you know, three months is nothing as comparison to 12 or two years, but like three months is, is massive for me considering right. it was you know, five to seven years worth of constant usage. And I'm like, you know what, every time that voice comes into my head, I'm like, yeah, but why risk it? Why risk it? We've come this far. Mm-hmm. I don't really want to go back. I want to keep pushing forward. No so, matter how painful it is. Yeah, exactly. And it's been a, a lot of therapy and hard conversations and making amends for things that I've done and having conversations with parents about everything that had happened and that they were so unaware of because I think no parent really wants to envision their child going through that and having those conversations has been brutal but I've now got healthier relationships with those around me and I've now got the ability to make clearer and more rational decisions than what I was before when I was just in that survival mode and needing to get that next fix and yeah it's it's tough but it's so worth it in the end. What helps you listen to do the right thing in terms of recovery? Because there are different levels of rock bottom, you know. Um, People relapse over and over again, multitude of hospitalizations and multiple treatments, um, and some don't need to find the rock bottom. But typically when people are at their low, like you were talking about, Maddie, that's when you're open to listen. Yeah. So for you, I'm not sure, but most folks in recovery find it really challenging to go, hey, I'd like some help. It's not like you guys are on the corner going, we want help. You know, that's not (laughs) happening. So what happened for you to just realize, you know what, I'm going to ask for help and I'm going to use the help? Yeah, I think, as I think a lot of it was seeing the alternative i i tried historically not getting help and dealing with it myself mm-hmm. and that led to being in hospital twice um and spending a month out of this year four weeks total in psychiatric facilities mm-hmm. reliving in brutal memory all of my traumas and everything that had happened and so i know that not reaching out for help is just as dangerous as uh, like the potential for relapse is so much stronger and so much higher if you don't reach out for help wherever you can find it. And it doesn't have to be this, like sometimes my help seeking behavior is not like, let's like dive in deep into everything that's going on. Sometimes it's just like, I just need someone to distract me for a little bit while I get through this. And then once I'm on the other side and I've got my bearings back, it's a bit easier to continue going on. So it's just when you're at that state and there are times where that state comes up like multiple times a week. And there are times where I can get through a week with it only happening once where I hit that like point of should I, shouldn't I, that huge, the weight of everything becomes so overwhelmingly heavy. And I think... I've just gone to a pattern of when I'm in that state, 
I, I definitely, my pride gets in the way a lot of the time. It's really hard even to get someone to just like distract you for a bit. Sometimes it's really, really hard to ask for that because you're like, oh, I don't want these people to see that I'm weak and that I'm struggling right. and mm-hmm. like a lot of people are my family and, uh, but, and so a lot of the time I do try distracting myself, which just never really ends up going as well as you think that does. Um, in my head, it's always like, yeah, I've got a handle on this. And I'm like, actually, I'm struggling with this for a reason. It's because I really don't have a handle on it right now. And it's when it gets to that point of, oh, my God, there's a chance I might throw this all away that I'm like, okay, I need help. I can't. Obviously, I've tried. I can't do it myself. And I need help in whatever form that looks like. And sometimes it's just calling online like services mm-hmm. I, I don't know what services are available over there but in here we've got like lifeline and beyond blue and things like that and and calling and speaking to someone sometimes it's just finding the nearest aa meeting and being like i'm just gonna go i'm just gonna go even if i go and i say nothing at least i'm in an environment with people who understand that i'm really struggling right now and i'm in a safe environment where those vices are not readily available. And I guess it's just like the habit that I've just sort of gotten myself into is pushing myself to yeah. do those things in terms of preserving the sobriety that I've worked so hard for to get to where I am right now. Yeah, I mean, I think that's where people can really struggle is that motivation to just push just a little bit more just push through it many would and have either died or continue to use i mean those are very easy it is so easy to go back and it's so much harder to keep doing what you're doing so what really helps you just kind of like push through is it because you don't want to die or i mean that's a big motivator yeah so what do you think helps you just get past that like hard part, like your pride? Yeah. Want to? I don't want to. Fucking too yeah. hard, you know. And and I think he absolutely hit the nail on the head. I think going back to those habits or even death is, and in a lot of ways that seems like a much easier thing to do, and. <laughs> You know, sure. just a few months ago, I was at a point where I was like, yeah, like dying is definitely the easiest way out. Like I won't have to, I won't have to battle with this and I won't have to battle with my mental health issues or really traumas from dead. And I think for me, it's the people around me that help keep me going. It's like when I made my attempt and seeing and having conversations with my family afterwards and how hard that was is my reason to sort of keep going. And also myself, like getting to the point where I'm at now and having dealt with not all, but a lot of right. my past mm-hmm. and seeing that that's like a lot of my past and behaviours now make a lot more sense now that I'm aware of what's happened and how this all plays out 
and wanted to sort of follow that story, I guess, be invested into myself and being like, okay, we've probably experienced the worst of the worst. We've experienced domestic violence and sexual assault and the whole shebang. Imagine all the good things that can also come. And if we choose sobriety, they come a lot easier because you're not in that environment. Mm -hmm. And so I think for me, the thing that motivates me the most is definitely wanting to see that out and wanting to have a relationship with my with my family, with my siblings. And my youngest sibling is eight. Wow. Like I'd love to be able to see him grow up mm-hmm. and make good choices and like that sort of motivates me to keep going. I think that's beautifully beca- beautiful because a lot of people do try for recovery for other, you know, for my yeah. family, for my children, for my partner. Um, that's probably motivating. Um, how do you put yourself first in your recovery? Mm, that is a fantastic question. Um, I guess putting myself first has never been an easy thing. Mm-hmm. Growing up the way that we grew up, most of my time was spent protecting other people. So right, putting myself first now, yeah, putting myself first now has been a hugely unfamiliar concept. It has been something that I'm like, mm, okay, I don't really know how to do this. Right. And it's been learning a lot day by day, trying to go, okay, what do I need right now? What... Like, I I spent 25 years protecting other people and all my previous employments has been about caring for the people, working in aged care and those sort of industries. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, okay, we've done that. We've played that role for a bit. I'm pretty sure we've given a lot to other people. Let's look at what, what do I need? And that's such an unfamiliar question to ask myself that sometimes it really catches me off guard. I'm like... Ah, how do I even think about that? How do I even, how do I even think about what I need? Um, but the more I ask myself those questions, the easier it becomes. Mm-hmm. And to be able to go, okay, you know what? Right now, I just need. Sometimes it's just literally to just reset myself, and just sit in a dark room with me, listen to music, and just sort of really mellow out and relax because everything else seems so heightened. And sometimes it's just like, you know what? I need to do something that's going to get my blood pumping and remind myself mm-hmm. that I'm alive and to keep going. And sometimes I just go for a run or for a walk, or I really need a social interaction right now to distract me, or any of those sorts of things. And it's just, when I'm in that, sense of panic is just getting into the habit of asking myself that question okay what do I need right now mm-hmm. and yeah there's plenty of times where friends and family even reach out with their own struggles and a lot of that's just habitual mm-hmm. because of the role that I played before sure. everyone's sort of just like yeah I need help and I'm like oh I need help <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. and it is 
hard not to give way to those habits and those urges and be like, yeah, okay, even if my tank's completely empty, still trying to find something to give other people. Um, and it's been a hard road to sort of relearn to be like, okay, actually, let me refer you to some other services that I know of. Like, mm. if you're really struggling emotionally, maybe try calling these people because, like, I love you and I'm here to support you, but also, like, I need help right now. And as hard as it is for me to do this, I need you to probably find help somewhere else that way I can deal with my own thing. And I don't, I wish I knew exactly how I was able to get to that. A lot of fighting myself Mm -hmm. and those urges to just help everyone and be the guardian for everyone. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's definitely taken time and practice and there are times where I definitely (laughs) slip up and I, despite being on empty, give my all to somebody else. But it's just day at a time. Just every day choosing to do, if every day if I choose to do one thing that benefits myself, it becomes easier to then actively choose to do those things over giving your all to somebody else. Yeah, just creating new habits that are healthy for you. Yeah. And setting boundaries. I was talking to a person not long ago about boundary setting. That is one yeah. of the hardest things to do in recovery. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> Massively. What makes it so hard to set up? I just think because you previously had none. Mm-hmm. Like if I look at like my history, my boundaries have become so far removed that like I was giving my all to my job, despite the fact that I was in no way, shape or form capable of doing what I was committing to. Mm-hmm. And I was working like 180 hours in a fortnight like 90 hours in a week I was there all the time despite the fact that like I really couldn't do it I had given up on I'd given up on myself and my personal boundaries I had was you know obviously doing sex work and anything I could Mm -hmm. so my self when your self-respect lowers it's a lot harder to put up boundaries it's a lot there it's yeah so incredibly difficult to be like oh yeah this is a healthy thing to do yes don't do this um and because it goes on for however long you're battling addiction for and even prior to that um when you're in recovery boundaries are so important but such an unfamiliar concept Mm -hmm. it is so far removed from what you've been doing that you're like ah, okay, I don't really know how to do this, but I actually need you to not cross this line. And how you go about it, how you express those boundaries, how hard you stick to them is so strange because it's just like I've never really done this for a good while. But, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and I've recently gone back into the workforce now and, trying to set those boundaries with my job and be like, okay, I'm here, but I'm here to, I'm also like my priorities working on myself. So I can only really commit this much time to you mm-hmm. and have those conversations with managers and be like, 
is that okay? Or I've, I've got a really important appointment and I really need to attend that. Or on days that I'm really struggling, being able to say to them, look, I'm actually really struggling right now and I don't think I'm going to be able to commit to that shift and put that in place is such a hard thing to do because I, particularly my previous job, I was just like, I was the yes man. I was like, yep, sure. No worries. You want me to be here for like over last Christmas, I started like on Christmas Eve afternoon. I didn't leave until Boxing Day morning. Like I was there for almost two days. Jesus. And it was because no one else wanted to do it. And I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. I've got it. I'll do it. And I was like, realistically, yeah, realistically, I was like, shouldn't I have done that? Um, so I think that's why it's so hard is because it's, you're so out of practice. By the time you get to the recovery process, you are so out of practice. And even just trying to understand what a boundary is, is it takes a lot. Mm-hmm. It's like. Different kinds of boundaries. In, yeah. When I was in hospital, we did a lot of work around boundary setting mm-hmm. and I was like, so like, what is this boundary that everyone keeps talking about? This seems really weird. <laughs> um, and then being like, so like this boundary is for all different kinds of situations. And I'm like, people do this all the time, <laughs> like keep themselves safe by like setting weird. up healthy boundaries. That's weird. <laughs> right. Um, but so important as practice makes perfect. And boundaries, yeah, from my experience, you're not going to get them right all the time. There are times where you're going to realise that you should have set a boundary there and you didn't. Mm-hmm. And there are going to be times where you might have set a boundary and applied too much pressure to it mm-hmm. when it might have been something good. Um, but practice makes perfect. And the more you do it, and the more that you practice sticking to them and applying them, the easier it becomes over time. Yeah, and I think that's a really strong message, you know, that you're saying is keep trying, right? Yeah. And keep trying. It's not about being perfect in your trying. It's just learning yeah. how to fall and get back up and keep going. Yeah. You know, and the farther you, the more you keep trying, maybe you will fall less yeah, you know, and absolutely. it may not feel so fucking dire. Yeah, right. Yeah, massively. <laughs> you know, in in the treatment world, a lot of professionals say this to clients, and I am one of them too. Is and I think you've talked about a lot of what's been different, but when someone says to you, "So, Maddie, because you relapsed and now you're on the road to recovery, what's different?" What would you say? What is different? Yeah. That's a fantastic question. Um, I think for some reason my, my resolve's a lot different. I'm less, I'm more understanding of myself and more forgiving of myself than what I was last time. I think the first time I definitely had it in my head that A, it was going to be 10 times easier than what it was. For some reason in my head, I just thought, use society like not use anymore and then that's it like god i wish the angels call (laughs) and (laughs) it's like a super easy like (laughs) stroll down the road and you're like yeah um and in reality i learned that that's not the case i think i also 
just like had definitely anticipated that like it wasn't going to be, yeah, it wasn't going to be that hard to stay sober and that it wasn't going to be so hard, like in terms of everything coming up. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, I did relapse and, but by doing so, I also learned that I'm like, okay, actually, we're going to A, need some help to deal with this because the first time I tried, I didn't really use any support. So I was just like, everyone sit back, I've got this. And then when, oh, I actually don't have this. Um, no. There's a reason why it's called addiction, actually. That makes sense. <laughs> right. um, so the second time to be able to be like, okay, look, it's going to be hard and it's going to be, it's going to be brutal. Yeah. But we just take it one day at a time. We've got this. And being a lot more understanding of myself and a lot more forgiving and being like, okay, yeah, yeah, you just had a really shit day and a really shit time. Like, let's let's keep going. Made it this time. And a lot of it's just like being able to go, you've made it that one more day. Like, let's, let's try for another. Yeah. Like, yeah, I could forward. And I think last time I was definitely forward planning like, I'm going to get the 12 months and it's going to be easy and then I'm going to be fine. And being able to go this time, being like, okay, you know what? You made it one more day. That's great. Let's do it again. Mm-hmm. Let's just like keep going. Let's go the next day. Not I, in no way to perform, even think about anymore about trying to rush that finish line as if there is a finish line. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and being able to be like, okay, this is just going to be something we're going to have to do one day at a time. And there are days where it's going to be super easy. There are days where it's going to be incredibly hard. But we're just going to take it and do it that one day, one step at a time. Sometimes one day seems daunting. Right, maybe it's God, one minute days. to a minute. Yeah. I'm like, you know what? Okay, we've gone through, we've done three minutes now. And we've been fine. Let's let's keep going. Let's do a couple more minutes. And like, sometimes you just simply break it down to the smallest interval of time as you can. Right. So sort of like, I literally will sit there and count the seconds and I'm like okay it's been 60 seconds let's go and just keep doing it that way and you just do what you've got to do to get through mm-hmm. and to get through those the, the temptation and the allure and how much easier it would be if you just used and you just go okay those are really, really tempting thoughts, but also like I've come this far. I've, while I was thinking that, I've also just gone 50 seconds without relapsing. Right. So let's just keep doing that. That's a win. And you just have to, yeah, you just have to keep putting those those tiny baby steps in and that's what matters and what's really get, what really gets you through. Yeah, I mean, you are definitely um, inspiring to hear this. And again, you know, it's not how long you have on this planet. It's what you do with it. Yeah. And being 25, um, you know, at the top, you know, getting your life started yeah. um, was almost taken multiple times. Yeah. You know, and to your point, oh, a huge wake-up call. If there was a couple of things, and you said beautiful things that I think a lot of people can relate to, Maddie. If there was like two takeaways for someone who is listening right now and it's like, well, this Maddie guy sounds magical, good for him, but for me, <laughs> counting one second seems excruciating. I don't know 
And this is the fifth time I've relapsed all of this kind of shit and feeling pretty hopeless and helpless, something you are very familiar with. What would you, yeah. what would you share with them? Yeah, I think, you know, it is a bitch of a thing to do. <laughs> right. it, it is in no way, shape or form an easy feat to, to stop using, to stop habits that become so ingrained. But being able to actively choose, just as simple as that, those words, to be able to actively choose instead of being so impulse driven, mm -hmm. but to be able to actively make the choice to be sober or to make healthy decisions is such a, a victory. And it doesn't matter how many times you try, each time you try is such a huge mammoth effort and it's such a huge achievement in itself. To be able to have the thought that this is actually a problem and I, I need help or I need to stop is like I'm throughout my entire process, my entire time period of using, that thought never occurred to me until this year that I was like, holy shit, I actually think I've got a problem. And even that in itself, I've come to understand is, it's not an easy process to get to that point where you realize that you actually have a problem. And so just getting to that point is huge. And just choosing every day to keep going to, you know, f find reasons that make you want to keep going whether it could be that, you know, you can make sound and logical choices or that you can actually go outside and do things or see people or build healthy relationships. Like those things are so important and choosing every day to better yourself is a difficult decision, mm -hmm. particularly because those in those darkest times probably don't see it as see themselves as worthy of that. Mm -hmm. But you are like the reality of the situation is that every single person is worthy of making those choices and choosing recovery. And despite the days that it sucks and it's brutal mm -hmm. and vulnerable, Right. in a way that you're definitely not used to being. It makes such a huge difference to choose sobriety and to choose to actually face those fears and face those issues and actually do put in the work mm -hmm. is a hard but such a positive and freeing thing to do. And so my advice to anyone who's listening who's in those dark spaces and need and yeah is that we've all been there we've all been in those darkest of darks and there's moments where everything seems so difficult but you've you've got this it's just although those seconds drag on accept the victory behind them 
that you've made it that extra second. And that would be my main, my main point. Beautifully said. I am truly grateful that you wanted to come on this podcast to talk about your struggles so honestly and with a huge degree of vulnerability. Yeah. So, Maddie, thank you so much. I would love to have you back on and just checking in to see how things are going. Um, thank you again for being here. Thank you for listening to Recovery Plus Podcast. Fuck yesterday, focus on today. I'm your host, Dr. May Lee Hennon, celebrating and honoring people in recovery one conversation at a time. This podcast is sponsored by Red Door Coaching and Consulting. You can find my podcast on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon. Thanks again for listening. Talk soon.